We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to We Saved You a Seat podcast. I'm Tamara Crabtree with Oklahoma Family Network, and this month our podcast series is focused on childhood cancer awareness. We've released three incredible family stories, each with a different diagnosis and each with some really incredible outcomes. I want to prepare our listeners today that our family's story will shine a light on a piece of childhood cancer we really, really don't enjoy talking about, but is a conversation we want to have for several reasons. Childhood cancer sometimes has a devastating end. The child is not always cured and does not always go home after their treatment plan is ended. We want to talk about the hard and the hardest. This family story is a story of great strength, faith, fight, determination, never giving up, always bringing awareness, and provides each of us with information on how to live day to day when the hard turns to the hardest. I had the incredible privilege to interview Tracy Whitaker, Mitchell's mom, for our podcast today, and I know her words will touch your heart. I want to thank you for listening today and hearing Mitchell's story. I want to thank you for allowing Mitchell's name to be said over and over as Tracy shares their journey through childhood cancer and the toll it took on their family. Today, we welcome Mitchell's mama, Tracy. My husband and I have been married for... My husband's name is John, um, 30 and a half years. That seems so long. <laughs> you say that out loud. But yes, 30 and a half years. We um, have, for the most part, lived here in Oklahoma. We lived a little bit in Texas for a short time, and but Oklahoma is our home. We were blessed with two beautiful kids, uh, Mitchell and Meredith. Meredith is 22 and um, is about to graduate this December from OSU, which that is, uh, I can't believe that we're there. I just always tell people with little kids, don't blink. And then uh, Mitchell, we are well aware of childhood cancer. Um, Our son Mitchell would be 24. And this, I'm going to try to not be so emotional, but September being Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, but it's also the month that he passed away. Mitchell was diagnosed with ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia in um, August of 2005. So we went through all the treatment and stuff. We were at OU Children's Hospital. And with him, it was was kind of odd about probably in May or June of 2005, he um, would wake up in the middle of the night and say, mom, my, my feet hurt. You know, we would, I would turn the light on. I would look at his feet and you couldn't see anything. There was, you know, no, nothing going on. And, um, and so then he was a baseball player and played baseball in the summer. His dad was his coach and um, he loved, loved, loved sports. And um, so he started complaining he had a backache, 
like a few weeks later and I took him, I mean, just kind of odd. So I took him into the doctor and they felt like he maybe just had um, like pulled a muscle because he was showing the, the doctor how he caught a ball and he did kind of dive. He reached out his arm and so they thought maybe it is, um, you know, a, a muscle. So um, I can't, I think they may have given him some muscle relaxers and stuff and we might have tried that and everything. But anyway, that kind of seemed, the back pain kind of seemed to subside. So that was probably June-ish. But he also was, what was a little bit odd was he kind of late June loves to swim and he was not really wanting to get in the water. He just complained. It just felt so cold, which it is still kind of cold in June and stuff. And he wasn't, he wasn't as active as he normally was. Um, I guess that he was still playing ball and everything. I think it was one July morning, he woke up and we we're actually going to a wedding that evening. But he woke up and it was a Saturday and we had a wedding that we were going to go to a little later in that day. But he woke up and he had like nodules on his wrist um, and then also on his feet. So then I knew like there something is wrong. And um, of course it was Saturday. So we I called first thing Monday morning and we got him in. They took his blood. They felt like they needed to draw some blood. When they got that back, what they felt like he had was um, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So they referred us to a rheumatologist down at OU Children's Hospital. And he was great. We went in, we saw him. They took x-rays of his hand and, and then did some more blood work and everything. And so what, when he came in with the results, what he said, well, he, he felt like they had dodged a ball and that um, they were concerned that it was gonna be leukemia, but his blood work was not showing those signs. So the only way you could determine if it were leukemia was to have a bone marrow aspiration, which that's just, such a process you don't want to you don't want to do that he you know and he also took it up to oncology had them look at it and they felt the same way to not do a bone marrow aspiration but to begin treating it as rheumatoid arthritis so that's what we did we started medications for it and just kind of went down that road and I remember even like researching and here my medical background is in I have a medical background in occupational therapy so I know some you know things but I never you don't google leukemia and stuff you need to but one of the big things was bruises and he did not have odd bruises anywhere he really didn't but then I got to thinking he really hadn't been that active and stuff either but anyway he didn't have any of the bruises so this was the end of July, we started, middle July, we started the rheumatoid arthritis treatment. And, but come like the beginning of August and we were looking at getting ready to start back to school, he, he was not really any better. And we were, one day went to go get school supplies and I am pushing him in the cart in Target because he's struggling with his feet were bothering him so bad he couldn't walk. And so I called and I said, you know, something is still not right. So they, we made an appointment, went back to see the doctor 
and they decided they would put him on a stronger drug, which is called methotrexate, that they use for rheumatoid arthritis, but it's also an oncology drug. And so in order to start that, they needed to do some further blood work because it affects your liver and all that. So they needed to check some stuff out. And then they were, they put him, they took him in to do some cortisone shots in his feet because they were causing him so much pain. And so since he was young and those are cortisone shots are painful, um, they put him, they were going to put him under. So we had to do it as a surgery. So, you know, that's scary. That was the first time that we ever sent him back on a, on a hospital bed and we didn't get to go back with him. They did that. They just said, we will we'll call you with, you know, the next steps. Well, I believe it was, I think it was like the next day. My mother-in-law had come to watch the kids because I needed to go get a baby shower gift for one of my friends. And I remember I was sitting in the parking lot at Penn Square Mall and the nurse from the rheumatology doctor, a rheumatologist called and said, Tracy, we have got Mitchell's blood work back and we need you to report to oncology. So, sorry, anyway, gosh, it's so um, crazy. Uh, like how vivid that is, but I, I can't remember what I wore yesterday or even ate, <laughs> but I can remember exactly where it was that moment. So we went to, I, I remember John was in a meeting for work. I remember he had this meeting and he was in it. And I remember calling his secretary and just saying, I, I need you to get him out of that meeting. And, um, Anyway, he came home and picked Mitchell and I up, and we went to the pediatric oncology floor at OU Children's, and uh, went, so we were a little bit, you're a little bit upset because here he's been having these symptoms now for almost three months, well, two months for sure. What started kind of May having issues, June, and then July came, and so you know, we just think, well, if we had done that bone marrow aspiration sooner, you know, where would we be? I mean, it, it, it's kind of is what it is. But anyway, so we went to that doctor's appointment and he, he showed us the difference between the blood when he was first asked, because he was the same doctor that they asked when they determined not to do the bone marrow aspiration. So the same doctor that began to treat him for um, leukemia. And he showed us how there was such a difference in the, his platelets that they had were fine. And so that's really a kind of a more of a sign that it's leukemia is when the platelets, by then the leukemia had spilled over out of his bone marrow. And so that's, I mean, it was very apparent that, that would, that's what it was. Okay, so in 2005, Mitchell's how old? Oh, I didn't say his age. 2005, he was eight when he was diagnosed. Okay, so he was eight years old, diagnosed, a very active boy. So, you know, when you talked about him playing sports and enjoying sports, and so when you think about pain or you, you think growing pains for little boys and you mm -hmm. think um, the feet are, you know, I mean, the shoes and baseball shoes are not that comfortable. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just thinking as a mom of a boy that has been through some of that, that 
there's reasons that you could justify being in pain as a, as a boy. And it wasn't until you saw the, what you called nodules, nodules. Or, or knots, I guess. They're Maybe. like little swollen bumps, like little cysts almost um, on his wrists. On his wrists. And, and then so, on his feet too. So here you are, you get the diagnosis, you go to your first appointment. And from the conversations I've had in the past, it sounds like you basically are admitted at that point. Was that your experience from that day? You go in for that appointment and it's like, boom, your world has been turned upside down. You were admitted. Um, what do you remember about that day? Mm. Um, I remember the doctor telling us and um, I remember saying, I think I'm going to throw up. And there was a bathroom right there, but I did not. But um, I, and he said, Mitchell is very sick. Mitchell needs to be in the hospital today. But he said, we don't have a room right now. And he goes, so you can, he said, I feel, comp and you know, take, you can take him home tonight. Because this was like, we, we didn't go in to see them until it was like probably three or four in the afternoon. And so he said, um, you can take him home tonight and pack your things, come back first thing in the morning and we'll have a room for you. Because he, since he was newly diagnosed, they wanted him to have his, a room by himself. So back when he was diagnosed, I mean, this has been 16 years ago, we were still over in the old part of OU Children's, the oncology was, and we, we would have roommates um, half the time that we were in the hospital, but that's a whole nother story. And so we went home and I remember like, they took Mitchell out of the room, the nurse took him to, I think the toy closet or something while the doctor told us to allow us to kind of take that in first and then he left the room and they brought Mitchell back so we could tell him. Um, sorry, um, tell him. I just remember, you know, cancer, eight, you went, I mean, they, they do know what it is. And um, his first question was, am I gonna die? And, um, you know, we were, we said, no, not right now. I mean, like, just no, you know, we're going to go through this treatment and stuff. And so anyway, I remember um, we took him home and um, packed stuff. And, and um, one of the blessings and it, it is true that God does pave that path before you and um John's mom was a school teacher um for several several years and that May 2005 retired that allowed her to be present with us she was there whenever we needed and then later his dad retired actually that September and they had already had that set ahead so they were such a great help to us. So they, you know, Martha was there with, um, for Meredith and um, we went in, they took us in on that. I believe almost that it was a, I feel like it was maybe a Friday. I can't really remember the date, but that we went into the hospital and then that, the first thing they had us do was do a bone marrow aspiration. 
And then that's where they said, you know, his bone marrow was full of leukemia and had started spilling out into the blood, which I'm not exactly sure what all that means, but anyway, so it was very apparent that he had leukemia. And then after they do that test, they do different tests to see exactly like what kind it is. And if he has pre-B or forget the other kinds, but you know, they check for like the chromosome issues and things like that. Um, and so his, his was pre-B um, leukemia. And what they heard their words to us were, it was um, the vanilla of leukemia. Um, success rates for remission were, I believe at the time, I think 80%. And I believe it's it's gone up now even. And so they just, the everyone that's diagnosed with leukemia goes through the same treatment, the same first month protocol. Um, they do the same process. And so, but because he was so sick, I mean, we stayed in the hospital. And like normally, again, most of them stay in the hospital. It's three to five days for that treatment. And so we did that for the, the first month of treatment and everything. And then when we went in to have the bone marrow aspiration again to see where we were at, let me back up to say when you start treatment, because it is OU and it is a teaching hospital, we were given the choice to go the regular route, which is what they, this is what we do with all the leukemia diagnosis or you can go this route, which is a trial. These are new drugs, it's a new, it's a process. Different, little different process, but both, both ways they felt would, would get to the cure, you know, get to the remission. Not the cure, but remission. And so we, for whatever reason, I mean, we took the trial route. You know, I mean, we just believe in, in helping research. And if this was something that would help with the cure, then let's do it. So what happened with that was if you can't, wherever you ended up, you know, remission or not, whatever, then you would go this different route. So they did his Fomer aspiration when they came back, because they could tell right there in the office and they would come in before he had waken up from it and said he's in remission. And so, you know, of course, we're thrilled and um, just, you know, going down that path um, that he's in remission. The treatment then um, was a two-year, two, two-and-a-half-year process. So anyway, we just, we were home, and a couple of days later, I get a phone call from Dr. Meyer, who was our doctor at the time, that um, they... So with his um, bone marrow aspiration, they looked at it at the clinic, but because we were trial, they sent it off to study it further. In that study, it was still there. It was, you know, they couldn't see it where this, but with the more molecular level, they, it was still there. So he was not indeed in remission. So that sent us down a harder path because we're on the trial. So for us, that meant we were in the hospital a lot because the drugs were 
newer, they were harsher. He needed to be watched when um, he had his chemo. So it just depend on what chemo we were getting, but we would go in every time for treatment, three, anywhere from three to seven days. And at least it would be at least twice a month for a while. So we did that for a whole year. We were a lot of time, we were in the hospital, I believe that first year, um, Thanksgiving. We were in there Christmas. Um, I mean, it just, however it landed, I mean, you don't, you know, cancer doesn't take a holiday. So you just, if you're, if it's time for you to go in and per protocol and have that treatment, then you, you go in and you have that treatment. And there was one drug that methotrexate that in order to leave the hospital, you had to get it out of your system. So it meant you had to drink a lot of fluids, a lot of water, a lot of Gatorade to flush it out of your system. And it had to be a certain level before they would let you go home. So they would check you on like day four and see where it was and it was still in your system. Well, sometimes, you know, then that would prolong your stay, you know? And so anyway, he would get so mad if we had to stay extra in the hospital. He loved to, to be home. What do you remember about him taking the treatments and um, did y'all give him a choice in kind of that conversation of choosing uh, which path to go either the kind of that you didn't call it experimental but would you call it the trial piece right did, did y'all make that choice as parents or did y'all include him in those conversations we made the choice as parents for that Mitchell was a very bright bright kid he was very smart and and for him to be eight, we could explain a lot of things to him. We would be in there with treatment with kids that were six months old, you know, and you just, or two, and just having to explain, I can't imagine that. So, you know, we we would explain everything to Mitchell. Um, the doctors usually always came in and talked with him in the room. I mean, he, he could tell the nurses what drugs he was taking and when he needed them, <laughs> he, like he just knew all of that. And so he was very sharp. But as far as that decision made, that was, we made it. Cause I mean, he wasn't really old enough to make a decision like that. But so we, we made that decision. And for, as far as him, like, I remember like in the morning. So when we were going to be admitted to the hospital, it might be a process of we drop Meredith off at school and then we're heading to the hospital to take Mitchell for a stay. But so he would always, it would usually always start with a procedure, which would be a bone marrow aspiration. So he couldn't eat. And um, my husband was sweet that he would not eat until eat, Mitchell could eat. And, um, but I remember Mitchell would get up and he'd sit at the dining room table or at the kitchen table with his face in his hands and just saying, you know, I don't want to go. And, um, you know, but our slogan was um, Whitakers don't quit and you do what you got to do. And so he knew, even though he could, he could say, I don't want to go. We didn't want him to have to go, but, but he always did what needed to be done. And it, and again, he was a sweet kid, tenderhearted, and the nurses would actually fight over who got to have Mitchell 
because he was he was good. He didn't he wasn't rude, you know. And um, in the middle of the night, I remember when we had roommates and stuff, and they come in for their vitals and stuff at like three, four in the morning, and they wake the kids up to take their vitals, and they have to get up out of bed to weigh on the scale and stuff. You know, like we could hear the neighbors, the kids just would be like complaining. No, I don't want to get up. I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. You know, Mitchell would roll over. He would get up, do what he needed to do, crawl back in bed and go back to sleep. So he, he, you know, no kid wants to go and have it done, but he, he did what needed to be done. You, you light up when you talk about Mitchell <laughs> and I love that. I absolutely love that. Um. You said that he had to, you thought he was in remission after that first month, and then he technically wasn't in remission, and so then he had to go back. How long did he have to go back in and out of the hospital for the, that trial uh, period for all those drugs? We did that. So we started in 2005, August 2005, and January of 2007 was our last stay for chemo because they had um, then developed an oral chemo that could be given to him at home. So he was on oral, but then when he, if he had to have a different chemo, we didn't have to stay in the hospital, but we went to outpatient. So it would just be, we'd just go to day and then we could come home. So he, yeah, so January, so we were in the hospital until January 2007. I was, I believe it was, I remember it, for some reason I want to say the 12th of January. So mid-January. I just want to clarify, y'all were in and out of the hospital for chemo treatments from basically August of 2005 until January of 2007. Yes. And so, so every um, month mm -hmm, he would be in anywhere from three to five, three to seven days he would be in at least twice a month. So about every other week we were in. Wow. Mm -hmm. How did y'all balance that with school and Meredith and, you know, kind of, you know, I know that that's a, you know, cancer treatments and, and being diagnosed is, it's a family affair. I mean, that's what I've heard over and over. It affects the entire family. How did y'all deal with that with school? And you said you had in-laws that came in and helped. Um, but how did y'all, your core family, how did y'all deal with that? We, um, we had a great, great support group, just friends and family. But yes, like I said, John's parents had both retired in 2005. And so um, they were our saving grace. I mean, they, um, and, and since Martha was a school teacher, she did all of Mitchell's school. So we would get all of his schoolwork. We put him on a 504. And so missing, you know, school didn't affect things for him. But anyway, they would send his work. And when he was able to go to school, he would go as long as his counts and everything were fine. He loved, he loved school. And so if he was able to, we would send him, but he would go back and he would be way ahead because they hadn't, you know, he didn't have a recess. He didn't have a lunch, you know, like he did have lunch, but, you know, and so they just did schoolwork. So she kept him on track um, and did all this schoolwork and everything um, with him. And then they would, um, John and I would alternate staying in the hospital. I would stay during the week because he worked. And so... But if it was over a weekend, then he would 
he would stay then, you know, we didn't have any of the COVID stuff. So Meredith never stayed the night. In the beginning, both John and I stayed. And in the end, we, we both stayed in the hospital. Meredith, like we, we would always tell everybody, she was the perfect other child at the time. She was um, just rolled with the punches and, um, you know, and everything. And she um, would be like, who's picking me up today? And sometimes we'd say, I'm not sure, but somebody will be here to get you. And um, she really, she was really good. She'd love to go up to the hospital. She'd crawl up in Mitchell's bed and they would play a video game or they, he, she'd just lay there next to him and they'd watch a cartoon on TV. And, and so we, you know, I mean, again, we had family that helped us and friends. And um, so, yeah, it, it takes a village. <laughs> I love hearing that about Meredith and her uh, crawling up in bed because she was younger. So, younger. you know, yeah, so she yeah. was six. She was six when he was diagnosed. And probably starting out as a, what was she, a first, maybe a kindergartner or first grader? Well, we, I remember we dropped her off at first grade and um, gosh, that's so hard. One, you know, I mean, she, kindergarten at this school was full time as well. So she'd already been going full time. I remember John just really being emotional about it because wanting Mitchell to be there to watch over her. So, because they would have been at the same school or the, right. they, they were at the same school. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Here, y'all have lived that full year and a half. I mean, that's a, that's a 18 months of treatment that y'all went through and then you did oral. Um, and so that was more outpatient, you said, where he could just go yeah. and, and get it and then go home for the day. Well, we, we gave the oral medicine at home. And then, but sometimes he would need, because it was a trial, they would combine some. And so he wouldn't have to go in and have it or ha just have something through his um, port, you know, once in a while. So it would just be a day. We'd just go over there. So how long did he do all of the oral medications? So he started the oral, it would have been January, 2007. You know, and you go back every month um, for blood work and stuff. And I remember in July, we had become good friends with the um, Sonny Galloway, the OU baseball coach at the time, because the baseball teams and, you know, different sporting teams would come up to the hospital and um, one time, Mitchell, because of that methotrexate drug, wasn't out of his system. We had to stay an extra night. And that night, the OU baseball team happened to be coming. Mitchell, it, it was down at the Aikman end zone, which is um, still there. They were, anyway, um, was the only, like, mobile child down there at the time and bigger. And so the whole team just kind of flocked to him. And then I'm standing down there, and so Coach Galloway just – we just started talking and everything, and they kind of just adopted Mitchell to their team. <laughs> and so invited us to come down to the Big 12 and um, things like that. And then um, anyway, he would have Mitchell come to his camps. They had summer camps. And Mitchell, again, he was a great athlete, loved, very competitive, loved sports. So this particular time he was at camp, and they were very um, – sweet to him and made sure they watched over him well because they knew obviously he's bald and being treated for cancer they could tell that and so I remember picking him up 
and we were going in like the next day, I think, for some blood work. And uh, he, she said, he seemed a little bit tired today and stuff. And you can kind of tell when their platelets are getting low, they get a little look on their face. And he looked a little pale and stuff. And so we went in in July. He needed platelets and maybe some hemoglobin. But that was the first time that he needed any type of blood transfusion since January, you know, since treatment and stuff. So that was July. And then in August, um, when we went back in, we were we were we went in just for a regular blood work check. And I remember that day it taking an extra time just and we were actually gonna move to getting ready to move to Tulsa. John had gotten a different job. And so I was dropping my kids off with my in-laws after the appointment so I could go get some packing done. Anyway, I remember walking back to the nurse's station because I thought it's taken a while. Maybe they've forgotten about us or something and seeing our doctor and a nurse talking and looking at a chart that looked pretty thick. And then he, the doctor looked up and closed the chart, put it under his arm, came walking out the door and he said, come with me. Um. So it was almost two years to the date that he was diagnosed um, that he had relapsed. Um, and so because, and we ha I have to say this to people that are listening, that their kids are still living, that when, it, when and if a relapse comes, remember this was um, 14 years ago, 14 years ago this month, this 14, a lot of research, a lot have cha changes have happened in that time. Um, but what he said to us, to me that day, John was actually in Tulsa at the time. We, Mitchell has seen a lot of drugs because we did the trial. There's, there were not a lot of new drugs out there to give him. There was one and so anyway, he was, I think, the 38th or 39th person child to try this new drug that they had. And so I remember, I mean, I was by myself. I had my kids with me. I was trying to keep my composure while getting in the car, taking them over to my in-laws. I didn't want to call, you know, anybody on the way or anything. Anyway, I remember I took him to Sonic, <laughs> got him there, Sonic kids' meals and then um, let them out of the car and I stayed outside and they ran into grandma and grandpa's Grammy and grandbabies and uh, um, I just stayed back and I remember just my mother-in-law coming out and um, I'm also emotional about her just because we lost her in January and she um, anyway but um, and I just lost it with her and told her what, you know, he had relapsed. And so then I had to gather myself to call my husband and tell him. And so anyway, we began the route of he needed to have a bone marrow transplant. He could do these, you know, we could start this drug. And for in order to have a bone marrow transplant, you've got to be 
at the time how I understood it, you needed to have all the leukemia out of you in order to accept the new bone marrow. Meredith um, was not a match for him. A lot of times siblings are. And so John and I were a half match, which is better than no match, but they put him on the list too to get a, you know, a better match for him. So, so they did that. He was on the bone marrow transplant list and then we started this new drug. And so back up, like the whole time that we were going through the first round of all this chemo for those 18 months, he, we only had to go to the ER one time and it was a Christmas Eve and because he had a fever. No, other, all the other time, like you always heard it, the kids always like were going in because they were neutropenic. Well, he, he had a fever, but he wasn't neutropenic so that he wouldn't have to be admitted. So we never had to be admitted during that time for being neutropenic. This round, um, he seemed, he just seemed sicker. And he, um, so we started this drug and we'd been on it for a month or so. But um, about a month, well, not even quite a month, let's see, a few weeks into it, he was only 50% only rid of the leukemia. It wasn't, it wasn't killing the leukemia like they had hoped. Um, by this time, he had started complaining of pain in his stomach, in his back and everything. And um, he had developed an infection. And so they said what they were seeing was kind of what they see when kids have a bone marrow transplant is this infection. We kept treating the leukemia, but then we had to start medication and stuff to do antibiotics to start treating the infection. He just was in a lot, a lot of pain. And um, it, this, it was just so much different than the first time around, but he, we ended up having to take him into, he had built so much fluid on his lungs from the infection that had to go in and drain, um, and drain that. And, um, and then after that, they had done more blood work and stuff. And I remember the doctor pulling John and I out and taking us across the hall into an empty room, basically telling us that you know, they had done all that they could. But um, he got really sick and ended up in PICU. And um, it was a Thursday, it was a Wednesday night, I remember, because I had gone home to stay with Meredith. And, um, and the night still haunts my husband. Um, because he was just in so much pain and to watch your child go through that is hard. Anyway, and so I, he called, John called me because they were taking him to the PICU that Thursday morning. And so I hurried up and got down there. I mean, he just was really sick and it was a matter of if you treat the leukemia, the infection will take over. If you treat the infection, the leukemia will take over. And it was just a hard situation to be able to treat both for him. 
And, you know, the doctors, when they come in, they'll give you your options and they don't tell you which one they would do. You know, they don't tell you that because they want, it's ultimately, obviously, it's your choice. Just after watching Mitchell suffer for these, this, these, you know, last few weeks and stuff or days, we just knew it was time that he was, he was done. And um, John and I, we don't always see the same thing, you know, same way on things and stuff, but we, we were on the same page for sure for this and knew that um, he had suffered enough. Was His body was little. I mean, he couldn't tolerate even all of that. And, and they, they had told us that if we chose, you know, to fight the leukemia, most likely he would end up on a vent and then you're making a decision to shut it off. We, just, we didn't want to do that. Anyway, I remember we made our decision and what, and the doctor said, I would have done the same. So that made you, even though it was a hard and awful decision and you felt better just with their knowledge of what they knew, that that was um, what they would do. Um, so they had asked us, you know, what, is there anything we can do? And we were in PICU and I don't know if you know, those rooms are so tiny and um, that just wasn't our home. Our home was on the 10th floor because now they had remodeled. And so they were on the new 10th floor when we relapsed. You know, we, we just, we wanted to be with those nurses because again, we were in for so much. We, we, they became your, they do, they become your friends and your family, uh, the home away from home and not a lovely one always. But anyway, um, and so we had asked if we could be moved back up to the 10th floor they did they moved us up so that was a they moved us up on a saturday and um we were up there they were just doing comfort measures um making sure his platelets were at a good level so he wouldn't bleed out um that was one thing about taking him home they just said his platelets would um just you know he would need platelets often or, you know, or he would bleed out and they were, and so we just did, that wasn't something that we wanted to have at our home, I guess. We didn't, we, we felt better. We felt safer. We felt, felt more comfortable with him um, being at the hospital. And that was our choice. Some people do take their kids home and stuff, but, and um, by this time, Mitchell was not, um, coherent. He wasn't really talking. He wasn't answering, you know, questions. He wasn't moving a whole lot. He would, once in a while, he might say something, but he wasn't drink, you know, drinking, things like that. And so he passed away um, that Thursday, early Thursday morning. So it was a Thursday he went in to pick you, and then a week later he passed away. What was, um, sweet is again like I said the nurses would fight over having him and um I kept asking like I wanted to know that I'm a planner and I kept asking like when will it happen and nobody could give me the the dates you know and stuff and nobody nobody knew nobody 
obviously we all don't know that, but um, the nurses would come in at their end of their shift if they weren't coming back the next day. And they would come in and see us and they would rub Mitchell's head, you know, to just tell him goodbye. Um, and it just really was sweet that um, the impact that he had on their lives, like they really truly loved him. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.